Good morning. The uh, scripture text for today comes from the first letter of John, chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. You know, there's that old game that people play. Uh, if you were stranded on a desert island uh, and you could only have one record album, what would it be? There's kind of an, another variation of that, which says, if you could only choose one song as the greatest song in the world, what would that be? Now, I know Michael Barber's choice is the Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. There are other people would vote for Willie and Waylon, Mama Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. But I'm glad you're tuning in today because you're going to get the real answer. Well, the runner-up is Help by Lennon and McCartney. But the winner, by far, is a song called Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. It was written in 1859 by a Sunday school teacher named Anna Warner. She wrote it for her class. And then William Bradbury came along and put some music to it. It's my nomination for the greatest song in the world. And I know you know this song. So let me invite you now to sing it with me. Okay, everybody now. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Well, I know you might say, hey, Bill, that's just a kid's song. It's kind of childish, you know? But sometimes kids see things about God and the world that we don't see as well. I heard of an eight-year-old boy who was saying a prayer in his Sunday school class, and he ended with, thanks God for this beautiful day. The teacher, knowing that it was a miserable, cold, rainy day, said, Johnny, why did you say that to God? You know today is anything but beautiful. And he replied, teacher, you should never judge a day by the weather. He's got a point there. There are other ways to judge days, aren't there? You know, one of the towering theological figures of our century is a German theologian named Karl Barth. He taught in Switzerland mostly, and he wrote a voluminous work called Church Dogmatics. It's a book that actually is comprised of eight volumes. It takes up four feet of space on the bookshelf, 
hundreds of thousands of pages codifying the doctrine of God and the Christian theology. In 1962, Karl Barth made his only trip to the United States, and he went around lecturing at different seminaries, and uh, he, when he was there, he would, after the lecture, take questions and answers from the faculty and the students. When he was at Union Theological Seminary in Virginia, after the lecture, at one of the question and answer sessions there, a student raised his hand and said, Dr. Bart, can you just sum up in a couple of sentences what you were trying to say in church dogmatics? I wouldn't have had the nerve to ask that question. But Karl Bart took it, he answered it. He said slowly and deliberately, yes, I can summarize in a few words my understanding of the Christian faith. Let me just put it this way. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If I would have been there, I'd have been thinking, wow, why didn't you just write that? It would have saved me a lot of time in seminary. Here, this greatest of theologians is expressing his final conclusion in the words that most of us learned in Sunday school as children. Maybe it really is true, as Robert Fulgham wrote, that everything I really need to learn, I learned in kindergarten. I'm indebted to my former colleague David Rees for pointing out how the four stanzas of this song make a perfect sermon outline. So let's take it just one stanza at a time. Jesus loves me, this I know. Through the life and ministry of Jesus, God was simply, plainly saying, I love you. When Christ healed the sick, touched the untouchable, loved the unlovely, he was saying to them as well as to us, I love you no matter what. When he endured the insults, the injuries, the treacheries, the disloyalties of men and women, he was saying, nothing can ever stop me from loving you. Even as he was dying on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As Paul writes in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can mess it up because you can't blow it because God's love remains steadfast. Part two, for the Bible tells me so. Here we enter into the field of epistemology, which is the department of philosophy that asks the question, how do we know what we think we know? How do we know something? It's a fairly esoteric field, but this is the answer, the epistemological answer to the first line is, for the Bible tells me so. Unbelievers might say, well, how do you know God loves you? How do you, how do you know that? And that is our really, really our only answer is because the Bible tells us so. We can't prove it. We believe it by faith. It's something that we accept because we have faith in the truth of the Bible as God's word. By the way, Karl Barth made a very interesting point about this, though. He argued that the Bible 
is not the word of God. It is the words about the word of God. Because it says in the Bible, in John, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is actually the word of God. And the Bible are the words about the word of God. That's how we know about God's love and Jesus' life. The Bible's not a science book, an encyclopedia, an answer book, or a weapon. It is simply yet divinely a carrier of messages. And the central message is God loves us. Just as our text said this morning, let us love one another because love comes from God and whoever loves is a child of God. That is what we know and we know it because of the Bible. Part three, little ones to him belong. In one of his books, Keith Miller, the Christian author, tells of an upbeat, positive, outgoing 50-year-old woman who was part of a sharing group he led on a weekend retreat. When it came time for her to share her story with the group, here's what she said. When I was a little girl, my parents died and I was put in an orphanage. I was not pretty at all and no one seemed to want me but I longed to be adopted and loved by a family as far back as I can remember. I thought about it day and night, but everything I did seemed to go wrong. I must have tried too hard to please the people who came to look me over, and what I did was ended up driving them away. But then one day, the head of the orphanage told me that a family was coming to take me home with them. I was so excited that I jumped up and down and cried. The matron reminded me that this might not be a permanent arrangement, but I just knew it would be. So I went with this family and started school. I was the happiest little girl you can imagine, and life began to open up for me. And then one day, a few months later, I skipped home from school, ran through the front door of the big old house we lived in. No one was at home, but there in the middle of the front hall was my battered old suitcase and my little coat thrown across it. As I stood there and looked at my suitcase, it slowly dawned on me what it meant. I did not belong here anymore. They didn't want me. Keith Miller said that when the woman stopped speaking, there wasn't a dry eye in the group. But then the woman cleared her voice and said almost matter-of-factly, this happened to me seven times before I was 13 years old. But wait, don't cry. It was experiences like these that ultimately brought me to God. When I was having so much trouble finding a sense of belonging from other human beings, I was driven to God, and there I found what I had always longed for, a place, a home, and love. Have you ever felt like you didn't belong, that you didn't have a place? You ever felt like you didn't belong with your spouse or belong at your job or with your friends or even your church? Have you ever felt little? I'm a big guy, but there's been times in my life that I have felt little. And when I do, I try to remember the words of this song. Little ones to him belong. We belong to Jesus, therefore we belong to God. Our basic worth comes from God. 
not from what other people think of us. And because we belong to him, we are special, unique, loved, accepted, never to be rejected or abandoned. And then part four, they are weak, but he is strong. Those of you that are football fans of my age or older will remember an ancient scandal in the league that happened to a play player named Lance Rensel. He played for the San Diego Chargers and then for Dallas. And once he was arrested for indecent exposure, turned out he had a serious sexual problem. He was convicted and sent to prison. When he was released, though, an interesting thing happened. His old football team, the Dallas Cowboys, hired him back to be a wide receiver. And he tells in an autobiography he wrote of feeling the great shame and embarrassment that he had brought upon his team. He talked about being at a meeting one evening, a strategy session for the team, and he stood up and he tried to apologize to his teammates but all he could do was just break down and cry. He said the lights were dimmed and the team prepared to watch the movies from the previous week's game. And while the lights were out, an incredible thing happened. He writes this in his book. A hand grabbed my shoulder, a huge hand, and held on firmly, supportively. And then from the other side, a tap on the arm was given. The room was dark and the coach was talking and there was a shuffling and a sound of scraping chairs as one after another they moved to make contact with me. They wanted to convey the unspoken message. We're with you. I wondered how I could have doubted them. I knew one thing. I would never forget that moment. Lance Rensel's strength was found in the frank and open expression of our weakness. Paul said the same in the New Testament. It is through our weakness that God is made stronger. It is through our very, very weaknesses that God can then ab be able to act and to change things. Only by facing our weakness will we ever be able to fully comprehend the love and strength of God as revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing is more unpredictable, brothers and sisters, than human behavior, and nothing is more predictable than the love of God. People are capable of all sorts of actions, but God is only capable of love. I close with a story I heard about a post office employee in Wichita, Kansas. He noticed a letter addressed in a childish scrawl to God, C.O. Heaven. He opened the letter and he read, Dear God, my name is Jimmy. I'm six years old. My father is dead and my mother is having a hard time raising me and my sister. Would you please send us $500? Deeply touched, the postal worker showed the letter to his fellow workers and they decided to take up a collection and, for the, and to send it to the family. They were able to raise $300 and they sent it to the return address on the envelope. A week and a half later, a second letter addressed to God was received at the post office. It said, Dear God, it's Jimmy again. Thanks for sending the money. 
Next time, would you please deliver it directly to our home? Because if you send it through the post office, they keep $200. Jimmy knew that you can't really always count on people, but you can always count on God. He knew the truth of this song. He knew that even though people can sometimes let you down, God's love is steadfast and never will. Brothers and sisters, let us write upon our hearts these words. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong.